just think of it as your first step toward getting a sweet victory. You just have to figure out what the right steps are to remedy the situation. Think about your, your experiences and how those experiences can be a huge asset. Figure out what your assets are and make the most of them. If you're gonna reach your full potential, as gifted as you may be, it's the people that also work hard and work smart that achieve the most. How to go from where you are today to where you want to go. So my mission in life is to be, as Bette Midler sang, the wind beneath their wings. This, that's what Aspire Hire is all about. If you can elevate yourself first through your positive life choices, you'll be organically led to elevate others. Hey guys, and welcome back to the I Love Success podcast. If you're new to this show, I'm super happy that you're here and you'll notice quite quickly that we're here to share. We're here to honor amazing human beings' journey and to give you the tools so you can find your success, your happiness, and whatever that means for you. My big fat mission is to help at least 10 million people to achieve their dreams. And uh, I do that by bringing on some of the brightest minds on this planet. To be honest with you, I'm super excited for, for this specific episode because I have a fellow athlete here. I have a young man that went to Harvard, went to Cornell, created a, an amazing life in his industry, helping others to be great at what they do. But not only that, he's written several books about uh, life and becoming a better human being. And we're going to talk about that, but we're also going to dig a little bit deeper to his newest book, Aspire Higher. And that's a book that is meant to guide readers to truly love yourself. And let's just stop there, to truly love yourself. And I think that's what we all struggle with sometimes, right? And then we try to love other people. So love yourself is something that I'm really keen on discussing. And the book is about so much more. But without further ado, let me welcome Ken Lindner to the I Love Success podcast. Hi, Peter. It's a pleasure to be with you and all the people out there. And it's an honor to, uh, to be here. Thank you so much. So let's just dig deep to some questions that I have because I never went to Harvard and I always admire people that have, have gone to these amazing schools. But let's go even further, further back. Do, was going to Harvard a goal of yours? Or is just that just kind of happened? How, how did you even get started on that dream? Well, Peter, as you mentioned, I am an athlete. And I was this heavy, late blooming youngster. And I just wasn't coordinated. But what happened was I wanted to bond with my dad who worked six days a week to give me the education he never had. <clears throat> and the way I realized I was gonna bond with him was athletically. And so he took me out on the paddle ball court and I couldn't hit the ball when I was seven years old on three bounces, but I so wanted his approval. I so wanted his attention that I worked really hard to get better. And the more I improved, 
the more my dad loved playing with me, spending time with me. And athletics, as I mentioned to you before we got on the air, has taught me so much. I've learned about discipline. I've learned about working towards a long-term goal, how to lose and learn from the experience so that I shore up the deficiency and am better the next time I take the court, how to win and not get too full of myself and take uh, great lessons from that. There's so many things, discipline, which I think if you wanna be successful, it's so important to make uh, disciplined decisions and choices at the appropriate times. So I became an athlete and everything I learned on the athletic field, I transferred to other things like my studies. I became a good student in high school. I wasn't in elementary school. And I got into Harvard because I was well-rounded. I was uh, one of the best tennis players on the East Coast. I went there and did very well there. In fact, I even beat Arthur Ashe when he was number five in the world um, in an exhibition match and played number one singles and doubles for Harvard. And then I wrote uh, a thesis on decision-making uh, at Harvard because I love studying the life choice and the effects that our positive choices or poor choices had on our self-esteem our feelings of self-worth and our self-image. And I started doing that through the lens of trials. And I began studying the law. And I decided that I was gonna to go to law school, not to practice law, but to study it. And it's interesting because what I learned in law school was to spot the issue. What's the problem? Because if you can figure out what the problem is, much like a doctor does, you can then figure out the solution. And um, it paved the way for a book that I wrote 30 years later called Career Choreography, the concept of which is you can attain any goal or dream if you can figure out the logical steps to go from where you are today to putting yourself in the best position to attain those goals and live that dream. And I learned that uh, at law school. Thank you. That's so much to unpack here. So let's just let's just start with uh, tennis. You started around seven. When did you realize that you could become a good tennis player? Um, pretty much when I started beating people. I mean, when you start winning, you start to realize that you're good at it. And it was the first thing, Peter, that I was good at in my life. And it became so much a part of my life, so much a part of my identity, probably too much at the beginning, but it was the first thing that made me stand out and made me special. I know you felt probably the same way, being as accomplished as you are. So I realized it because I was winning tournaments. I won the New York City tournament, the New York State tournament twice. And so you begin to realize that you've got some, some gifts, some skills. Yeah, I love that. I'm sitting here with goosebumps because I was... I was the shortest kid in class. I was bullied and I, I didn't have much friends, but in the, in the karate dojo, it was a great moment to bond with my dad, but also be, to become better at something. And once you st I started winning, just like yourself, it just improved the confidence and it transpired to other areas of my life. Just like you said, your studies became better. You probably were 
better with people and communication because all of a sudden you're a little bit more confident, right? No question. And everything I did on the court was, okay, how do I get the best result? What's the most constructive way to get to where I want to go? And when I would lose, I'd figure out, okay, what's a constructive solution? When I lost, when I lost to this left-handed guy who was about 35 years old and I was 17, and I'd never played someone with a great left-handed serve, I thought, how am I going to get better? And actually, my mom gave me the solution. Get a left-handed coach who would teach me the right footwork to react to a, a spin that I wasn't used to. A year later, I beat that same player, um, pretty handily. And it taught me that whenever you have a problem or an obstacle, just figure out the most constructive solution. And that day taught me a great life lesson. So whenever I'm confronted with a problem, a setback, um, a defeat, just think of it as your first step to getting a sweet victory. You just have to figure out what the right steps are to remedy the situation. Yeah, I love that. And a lot of times, just like you said, it's tactics, right? And looking at it from the right angle. That's why you need people in your life. Because I meet a lot of people. They're like, I can't do it. I can never do it. And you, you look at what are they doing? They're facing the problem head on. Uh, but there's smarter people. There's coaches out there that can help you look at it from another angle. And all of a sudden wow, it's brilliant to train with the left hand. <laughs> uh, so let's, let's, let's move further. So you beat Arthur Ashe, you, 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 you were selected to study at Harvard. How, how did that feel to, to walk the campus? Because I've, a lot of people dream about, you know, being at the highest level of whatever field. And I, I feel Harvard is definitely one of the highest level of education. So how, how did that feel to walk there as a young young kid, athlete, you're at one of the best universities in the world. How, how did that um, affect you and what did you learn from that? Well, first of all, I was incredibly proud. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, my dad didn't even go to high school and he was so proud of me. And, you know, I was excited and um, it somehow I played up, you know, when you, when you play against somebody who you're not supposed to be, but you play up to the situation, you master the moment. I was there with a, a lot of really great test takers, a lot of really smart kids, but somehow I found a way to do really well. And what I did was, and I think this is important for anything, I assessed what my strengths were and I played to my strengths. I was a much better writer than I was a test taker especially competing against guys and girls who were amazing test takers. So I decided that I was going to write as many papers as I could because I could research it. I could put it away. I could take my time and I could come up with original thoughts. So I did really well at Harvard because I played to my strengths. And I think it's so important in any job that you take or any endeavor that you enter into to know what makes you really great or really good and make the most of those gifts. So I, I counsel people that when you're looking for a job, think of the things you do really well. Think about your, your experiences and how those experiences can be a huge asset. Figure out what your assets are 
and make the most of them. I love that. And a question to you, because your father, he didn't even go to high school. And when you were walking there at Harvard so prior, did you ever feel like you you didn't belong there or did you own it? Or like, how, how did you deal with that? Because I remember the first time I came to a big tournament, I almost shit my pants, to be honest with you, because I di- I felt like I didn't belong there. But after moments of time and training, I, I learned that I, oh, I deserve to be here. I belong here. Uh, can you just talk a little bit to that, to people that are also underdogs in their life, but still want to accomplish great things? Peter, you're giving me chills now because what you said resonated with me so deeply. When I played my first tournament in Central Park in New York City. There were 124 entrants. And there was this huge draw sheet that took up two walls. And I won a a sectional tournament to get there in Brooklyn, where I'm from, Brooklyn, New York. And I'm looking at all of these 124 players. And I must have looked terrified because some stranger whose name I remember to this day, his name was Victor Garvin, because I asked him, came up to me and said, just don't worry about all those other people, just play your game. I've seen you play, I know you will do well, but don't worry about everybody else, just be the best you can be, have tunnel vision. And he got me through that tournament. I actually won the tournament. And part of that was, was that I didn't get psyched out because I was playing in a bigger arena. And it's always worked for me. Just go there and play your game and be the best you can be. And I try never to seek perfection because that's impossible. I just try to be the best I can be and practice like crazy. I am, as my son would say, a grinder. As, as many gifts as I may have, maybe, I work hard. And I think if you're going to reach your full potential, as gifted as you may be, it's the people that also work hard and work smart that achieve the most. Yeah, I love that. And, and also hearing from you, it, it sounds like this type of mindset that you have came pretty early. Do you know, do you recall what this came from? Was that some books you read, people you were around, something that was innately in you or a combination of all of that? Well, I've always been an underdog. Um, I've always had to be a fighter because I, as I said, I was this really overweight, late blooming kid. So nobody really believed in me. I had a mother who believed in me. I had a tennis coach eventually who believed in me. And I had a sociology teacher and as a junior in high school who believed in me. They saw what can be in me. And interestingly enough, those people, their belief in me propelled me to go on to do some really good things. So Peter, my mission in life in turn has been to see what can be in others, to believe in them and to help them craft the steps Career Choreography, my book, how to go from where you are today to where you want to go. So my mission in life is to be, as Bette Midler sang, the wind beneath their wings. I love that. And talk about that paper in decision-making because I'm 
big, my goal, I study success. And I think one of the most important things that hinder people from being successful is their decision-making process. So what did you find in that paper and what have you found in the past 20, 30 years of helping other people that we can do to make better decisions faster uh, to move in the direction we would like? Well, this is all about what my new book, Aspire Higher, is about. Yeah. And first of all, it's really important. The first thing is you need to dig down deep and don't, and don't be defensive. Know what it is you really want in your life. Know what your values are. Know where you want to get to, what makes you happy. Because then, first of all, you can start to chart the course to get you there. But also, I believe that the way you find true happiness in your heart and love in your heart is to start making wherever you are small and larger positive life choices that reflect your highest self, that reflect your highest goals and your highest values. Because if you start to make choices that make you feel really good about yourself, they, it starts to give you the confidence that you can truly affect positive change in your life. You can elevate your life. You can take control of the things you can control. And that gives you confidence and it builds your self-esteem and it builds your self-worth and your self-image is elevated. All the things I talked about in college. And I believe when you start making more and more positive life choices, because you're successful, you hunger for more success. So you make more good positive life choices. And when you do enough of that, Peter, I believe you start to feel worthy of those great choices. And when you feel worthy and deserving and you develop love in your heart, you're far more likely to bestow that love, that compassion, that empathy, that support onto others. And I believe that this is the path to take us to a, a more civil, respect-filled, and love-filled and peaceful country. So this, that's what Aspire Higher is all about. If you can elevate yourself first through your positive life choices, you'll be organically led to elevate others. Yeah, I mean, I'm all about that. Being a martial artist, I vibe so much with what you're talking about because it's, it's what a true martial artist does. And uh, I think it's so important, yet we see so much of not acting like that in the world. So what can what's the first step to start in regards to loving oneself? I mean, there's so much self-destruction out there. Uh, I, I think I spoke to another uh, guest and he, he's a good friend with a psych psychiatrist. And he said, you can't get it. Like it's three or four wait, three or four months wait time to get a psychiatrist or psychologist because there's the mental health has skyrocketed. And we're talking about people that are, can afford that, which are, means that they usually have a pretty good job, a pretty, pretty decent life. Well, I think the most important thing, as I mentioned, is know what you really want, know what you really love, know what'll make you feel great and then make choices, positive choices to help you get there. To me, making positive, constructive, beneficial choices is one of the greatest things that you can do for yourself because you're making yourself feel great and you're, you're going toward attaining your dreams. And I believe 
that choices are like train tracks and that the trains go where the tracks take them. Your life is a reflection of the positive and poor choices that you make. So if you can start making some great life choices one by one, the chances are that you'll have a great life path and live your very best life. I like that. Let's let's break it down a little bit. For somebody that is in a position now, you know, big life changes, right? 2020, 2021, there's been, people have been doing really well. People have been doing not so well. Uh, let's talk about people that have, they're in a complete change right now. They they have moved. They are need to start over. They need to build something. Like, how do you start that process when everything is uncertain? You know, you used to have a path, but everything has kind of changed. The landscape in your life has completely changed and shifted. Well, in Aspire Higher, I talk about my just trust rule, which is, first of all, when something changes in your life, trust that there's a reason for it and that this is your opportunity for an amazing life reset. But the key is you have to dig down deep and figure out one, again, what you really want in your life. What will make you happy? What made you happy two years ago may not be what makes you happy uh, after COVID. I mean, we all wanna be closer to family now. I think we all you know, value our health even a little bit more because it's so fragile. Our values may have changed. It's really important to know what you really want in life and then figure out the steps to help you get there because a lot of people's values have changed over the last two years. And again, if it's professional, if it's a professional change, think about all the things that you love doing in your prior jobs, incorporate them into your new job. Think about the things you didn't like in your old job and try not to have those in your new job. And think about what would make you love going to work every day, what job makes the most of your skill sets and your experiences, and what job will give you the most life meaning. Because at the end of the day, we spend a lot of our lives working. The key is to try to make the most of it. Have joy in your heart if you can. Yeah, I love that. And I asked, I asked my wife uh, probably a couple of months ago now, what if you can describe life, uh, life with one word, how would you describe describe it? And he said, she said joy. Uh, so, and that that inspires me so much because being joyful and and being in a state of joy, it it's it's beautiful. And you want, when you are in joy, you forget you know, all the struggles, at least for that moment, right? Well, and if you talk about the word joy, Peter, you're talking about either being with people you love, doing something you love, or doing something that benefits others that makes you feel joy. I mean, think about the things that really mean the most. And if you can think about the things you really love and mean the most, and you pursue them, the chances are you'll have a lot more joyful days. Yeah. Let's take it to the to the next level because you were very high level athlete uh, and you're talking about this in your new book. Now, for people that are at a very high level and they're like, yeah, life is good right now, but I've, I've reached everything that I thought was 
impossible almost, but now I'm still at that level where I don't, I don't feel that joy anymore because I've reached that level. I want to take my life to the next level. What, what are the steps that you would recommend and, and what are your thoughts about that? And have you been in that situation yourself and how did you overcome that? Well, it's interesting. I haven't really thought about it the way you posed it, but I'm going to do it now. And, you know, I've, I've done well in my profession, but the thing is, is that, um, over the last 10 years, I've been writing because writing gives me joy and helping people on a much greater level brings me joy and great satisfaction. My job is, is that I represent newscasters and program hosts. I'm a talent representative for, for people, many of people who you might know, Lester Holt and Mario Lopez and many newscasters and hosts around the country. And um, my joy, which has been great, has been helping them build their careers uh, strategically. But I love writing and I love making positive strategic choices, whether they be professional or personal. And I felt after helping people build careers for 38 years, I had something to offer. And that's when I started to write books. And for me, it is a joy, it is cathartic. And the great part about it is I help people. So um, I think at some point in time, when you reach a certain level in your profession, there may be other avenues to pursue. I mean, we keep growing, we keep evolving. You know, we wanna remain relevant and we wanna remain contributors to life. And I think it's important to always keep moving and, and, and being aware, like a heart monitor monitors your heart, be aware of your heart monitor. Where is your heart? And where's your heart telling you to go? And listen to that and see if you can follow it and make your heart happy. Make your heart sing. Yeah. Was, was that scary when you decided that you want to write about these topics and share that? Like, how was the thought process for you? Because now you're it's in the same avenue, but it's still something new and you're putting yourself out there uh, even more to the public at this point, right? How, how, how did, did that feel and, and how did you deal with that? Well, Peter, you know, we talked about the fact that there's a choreography for everything. And my choreography was, well, first I wrote a book, a self-help book years ago and every publisher turned it down flat. They said I didn't have the background. I wasn't a doctor. I wasn't a therapist. I wasn't, I wasn't what they were looking for. Yeah. So I decided I had to do a different choreography. And I love the choreography strategy. Again, that I talk in my book about career choreography, lead with your strength. So I decided, okay, how am I going to become an author? How do I get into the club? And I wrote a book about broadcasting. And I felt, oh my goodness, I have all these you know, top name broadcasting clients of mine. Somebody will buy a book as to how I helped grow these careers. So I wrote the book and I went to the library and I researched who the publishers were that wrote, that published broadcasting books. I sent them the manuscript uh, out of the five um, publishers that I sent the manuscript to, three came back and were interested. 
and my first book, Broadcasting Realities, got published. And then when I was giving a speech about decision-making at a convention in broadcasting, I sort of veered off a little bit and talked about how important it was to manage your emotions and don't let your emotions cloud your best judgment when you're making your decisions. Because when you're angry, when you're sad, when you feel hurt, when you feel resentful, when you're depressed, we often make snap decisions to make us good, feel good for the moment. But those decisions often are inconsistent with our highest goals. Well, an ex-Oprah producer came up to me and said, nobody's ever talked about emotions the way you do. You should write this book. Well, I wound up writing it, it took me five years, and I wrote a book called um, Your Killer Emotions, in essence, How to Master Your Emotions. And I did get somebody to buy it, and it got published, it became a bestseller, and all of a sudden, I was an author, and I was an accepted author. And now I'm just branching out and growing, and, and everything's everything I'm writing, Peter, is under my umbrella, Positive Life Choice Psychology, and it's positivelifechoicepsychology.com, which is the website, and everything I write is about how to make the best life choices for your life. So it's been fun. Yeah, thank you for doing that. I mean, elevating the world with a positive consciousness, I think it's so important. And if we can all do that, life will be better as we know it. The world will be better as we know it. Uh, so self-worth and self-esteem. Can we just talk about that? Uh, wh what are really the differences between those two and how do you develop both? Well, I really feel like when you make positive life choices, when you accomplish things, when you master things, you feel good about yourself. You go, ah, I can do that. And when you start to get the confidence that you can do good things over and over again, whether it's a skill, making life choices, um, winning a karate uh, match or, or tournament or whatever that term is, or as I said, winning my tennis matches. How did I know I was good? Well, the litmus test was I kept winning. So I must be pretty good. So, you know, you start to develop confidence and high self-esteem. You feel like, you know, I can master this moment. When you, when you go through um, uh, challenges and you get it right and you become a constructive decision maker, you know, now after 38 years of doing what I do, I feel there's no problem I can't solve because I've seen it before and I've done it. I remember years and years ago when Tiger Woods was in his heyday and he was down by five strokes going into the final round of this tournament. And he came back and won the tournament by one stroke and they interviewed Tiger and they said, you know, how did this all happen? He said, I knew I could do it because I've done it before. He had the confidence, he had the self-esteem. He knew, wasn't sure he was gonna do it, but he knew he could do it. And the key really is um, experiencing things, getting victories, 
feeling good about yourself and how you conduct your life and how you got it done. Those are all ways that you develop self-esteem and feelings of a high self-worth. That's why I say, if you can start making baby steps with your positive life choices and then go bigger and bigger, um, and you master those moments, those opportunities, you're gonna start to feel good about yourself. You're gonna start to feel like you actually can uh, affect positive change in your life and have a far better life. That's why life choices are so important. I love that. And yet we live in a country where there's like six minute abs, uh, three minute uh, super biceps or whatever it is. A lot of people don't want to hear this. They want to hear that there's some type of quick fix, right? Uh, can we just talk about that? Uh, and how how do we help more people? Because I wrote, I've wrote written several books about goal settings and achieving their dreams. And the, the truth of the matter is a lot of people don't want to hear what's in that book because it, it takes the work during a consistent amount of time. Uh, so what do you want to say to those people that are looking for kind of those, yeah, this all sounds great, but I, I, isn't there a shortcut? You know, it's really interesting. There was a book that I read, I don't know, maybe 30 years ago that changed my life. The book was called A Road Less Traveled. And it was written by someone by the name of, um, I think it was um, Dr. Peck, M. Scott Peck. And the first line of the book was, or the first two sentences were, um, uh, you, can't, you can't achieve anything without discipline. And the key really is, is that if you want to be successful and have a great life, there are times when you can't go for the quick fix because if you really want to go for your best life and you want to make life choices that reflect your highest self, you have to be disciplined. You have to delay gratification. I mean, when I was in, when I was playing national tennis tournaments, there were so many times when I was 15 and 16, when they would say, come on out to a party you know, have some fun with us. And I'd go to sleep because I was disciplined enough to understand that I traveled this far to be in Michigan or Florida or wherever I was. And I practiced all those hours every day to get to where I was. And it wasn't to go to a party. It was to win the tournament. And there are times when you just have to play the long game as people say. And the people who are achievers, the people who truly self-actualize and attain their goals, know when to be disciplined and play the long game and just don't go for the quick fix. Quick fix is okay sometimes. You just have to know when and where to go for it. Yeah. And when you talked about that, it sparked a, an interest in me early on in my martial arts career when I was competing, I, I didn't really enjoy the competing phase because I had so much pressure on myself to perform. Uh, and funny enough, I, I did usually did perform, but it, it was most, it was this instead of heck yes. But the further on I went in my career and my best performances was in a completely different mindset where I was happy to be there. 
I was performing to the best of my abilities. I wasn't afraid of losing, which I had for many years of my career because I want I wanted to win so much that I got scared. Uh, so can you just talk about that? How, how, how did you experience that as, as a great tennis player? And how did that progress as you became a better player and also human being in other areas of your life? Well, Peter, first of all, I've got to tell you, you ask wonderful, wonderful questions. You know, I'm in the business. I represent great interviewers. Thank you. you know, you're welcome. So you know that anything you do in a performance medium, you can't have that outside pressure. You need to be free to take risks. You need to be free to be who you are. And I know I played my best tennis for coaches who believed in me, who never thought I would lose because I wasn't afraid to take a risk. Yeah. Where, And I talk about this to my clients. You're never gonna be the best anchor or host or reporter you can be if you're around people that bring you down that don't see the best in you and that don't enhance you. You want to perform around people that believe in you and see the best in you. And I think what happened was when you got older, you, you believed in yourself. And I bet you, you were able to attain great heights because if you're comfortable and you're not afraid, you're far more likely to achieve amazing heights than if you are only dealing with fear. You know, fear, fear works too. I remember, I think it was Jimmy Connors. I'm not positive. I remember seeing a quote and somebody asked him, what, um, what made you win so much? And I think he said, and I'm, as I said, I might be wrong. Yeah. I was afraid to lose. And, you know, there's a, there's a difference between being afraid to lose and being confident and going out there and just saying, I'm just gonna let it all rip, grip it and rip it. And I'm gonna be the best I can be. And, you know, I prepared myself and I'm ready. I think it's, a, it's the distinction between wanting something and needing something. I, earlier in my career, I needed, and we see this in relationship. People are sometimes very needy. They urge for this, or I need this. But if you can elevate yourself to the level of wanting, but being okay, I might losing lose it, but I'm okay uh, pursuing it. Uh, have you experienced that in your life as well, wants versus needs? Yes, and you know it's really interesting. If you you know you're going to lose once in a while as a competitor, I mean, Tiger Woods did not win in his heyday every tournament. Roger Federer did not win every tournament. I mean, I can go on with any great athlete. They won a lot of big ones, but they didn't win all the time. And if you're gonna go out and compete in anything, whether it's getting clients or anything else, you are going to lose occasionally. The key is learning from your mistakes, shoring up the deficiency so that you can win even more, but you can't be afraid to lose. I've learned more from my losses than I have from my wins because it showed that there was a deficiency that needed to be shored up. So to me, losing is just part of winning. It's the first step to winning and an important step to winning. So don't be afraid to lose because if they say, if you don't get up to bat, you'll never get the hit. It, it's so right that uh, 
I remember earlier in my life, I, I was one of the best in Sweden where I grew up and we were selected to compete in tournaments out in Europe. And um, every time the local newspaper come and made, you know, an interview and uh, they didn't know how the difference between being a good fighter in Sweden and in Europe, it was a huge gap at that point. Uh, so the expectation was for me, especially for the magazine and everybody I knew, knew to win because I always won. But I went there and usually I lost the first or second second match. And then eventually I got better and better. But I remember in the beginning, it was so hard for me coming back because I knew that 40, 50 people are going to ask me, how did it go? So it was almost like I was hiding the first couple of days when I got home. And I learned this over time that it's my self-worth that is important, but I can relate to many people that are scared of playing on the field because of the opinions of others. So can you just share a little bit on that? How has that been in your life? And do you have any advice for people that are scared of putting themselves out there? Well, I must tell you that I talked to my staff uh, in my office when we go after potential clients and I say, look, don't be afraid to, to get a no. If you go after 10 clients and two say yes, that's two more people that you didn't have, even though you got eight no's. And by the way, three of those people are going to remember in years to come that you called them. They weren't ready to be represented by you now, but in time they may. So you may actually get five clients out of that. Don't be afraid to put yourself on the line for fear of failure because it's the only way that you can win. The other thing that you mentioned, Peter, is that don't worry about what other people say. The people who love you and care about you will be supportive of you. The other people don't matter anyway. They're not your friends. They're not your family. So don't worry about them. And you know, what most people do anyway is, you know, if, when they criticize others, it's because they feel badly about themselves, you know? So don't worry about it. Don't let other people's bad behavior in any way deter you from going out and being the best person you can be. I, I, I think that's a huge lesson I've learned. Don't let other people's bad behavior deter you from being what you can be. Yeah, that, that's great advice. And let's talk a little bit about goal settings. Uh, I'm big into goal settings. How, how does that work, your process of setting goals and kind of reverse engineer what the steps to get there? Well, I am a huge goal setter as well. And I think any athlete is a huge goal setter. You know, you want to win this tournament. You want to go to the Olympics. You want to be a major league baseball player. Whatever that goal, I want to make my high school team whatever that goal is. And I believe it's important to know what you really want in life, what's important to you, what'll make you happy, and then figure out the steps to get there. What's the most logical set of steps to help you get there? And um, you, you may have to make detours when unexpected events come. Uh, and there may be some positive unexpected events, which may help you make steps more or take steps more quickly. But the key really is, is to be strategic, see the goal and then craft the steps. What are the steps that uh, are gonna take you to get there? 
Awesome. And do you write your goals down every year or every month? Like, how is that process for you? I actually think about things all the time. I am, you know, one of the things about tennis is that um, it's not a sport like baseball or football or basketball, where if you're having a bad day or a bad moment, a coach can substitute in for you. On the tennis court, you're it. Either you get it right or you lose. It's survival of the smarter, the fitter, the more adaptable individual. So I have to keep assimilating information. What's the wind like? What's the sun like? What is my opponent um, feeling good about? What do they have? What are they uncomfortable with? Is high spin make does high spin make them feel uncomfortable? Does hitting the ball flat make them feel uncomfortable? You have to keep assimilating things, and then you have to keep assimilating. All right, well, they've caught on to that now. So now I have to change it up. And in life, every day, I try to assimilate information, very much like on the tennis court, saying, Am I still, do I still want this goal? Is this step that I'm taking or these acts that I'm making or this behavior uh, that I'm engaging in effective or not? Because if it's effective, great, I'll stick with it. If it's not, I need to change it up. So as I said, sports have, taught me how to navigate life. And, and that's one of the big ones. Continue to assimilate information, see what works, see what doesn't work and, and stick or create with things that will work. Yeah. And, and one thing that I've noticed from people I'm talking, talking to, but also in my own life, some of my best performances and success moments has been only small windows of opportunity has opened, but I was able to see that and take advantage of that moment. I wasn't much better than anybody else. I wasn't, I was probably the same prepared, maybe a little bit more because of my discipline, but it was that little split second of seeing the opportunity and taking the advantage. And I've seen that in business as well, seizing that opportunity while, while most people miss it because they're they're busy or in their head. Have you, have you seen that in your life as well? And can you just share your thoughts on that? Absolutely. You know, being opportunistic, seizing the moment, I think is huge. And it separates people who have extraordinary success from people who don't. And I know, for example, there are some huge broadcasters who I represent that I thought, you know, they're at a pivotal time. I think they can use some really good representation. And I called them and instead of waiting for them and asking them, well, you're going to be out in LA sometime or, you know, would you like to have a phone call? I flew to meet them the next day. I showed up and I said, I value you this much that I am just flying from LA to Chicago, to New York, to meet with you, because I think you're that good. And I think we're going to be that successful. I got their representation uh, as opposed to other agents getting it. And these people that I'm thinking of turned out to be two of the biggest megastars broadcasting has ever known. And it's because I saw an opportunity and um, sort of like a great running back in football. I saw the, I saw the space, I saw the hole and I ran for uh, the goal line. Be opportunistic. If you see something that could be huge for you or potentially huge, go for it. Don't overthink. I think in that what happens to a lot of people, it's kind of overthinking. And we go, we can go back to the most basic need, you know, 
a, a young guy in the bar is thinking about talking to this beautiful girl all night. And then there's this other guy that didn't even think about it and goes straight forward. He might not be the best fit, but he went for it. And, you know, it, it was, it was a match. And um, so I, I, I think that is in some human beings, it's already there. Uh, but do you think we can train that or is that killer instinct someone, something that you're born with? I think it's both, but I think you can certainly train it. I was very, very, very shy as a kid. And I'm still shy in big settings, but I'm very good one-on-one. -on -one. And um, I learned to take my shots. I learned to go up to people and say, you know, my name is Ken Lindner. Here's what I do. And I would love to talk with you about representation. And it doesn't bother me or it didn't bother me and doesn't that they may be represented. They may not be interested, but a lot of people were, and I built my business on it. And then the people, as I said, who I approached at one point and they weren't ready, the timing wasn't right. Many of them wound up calling me later. So taking the shots, even if you don't win immediately, can pay off big dividends uh, in time. I totally agree. And let's dig a little bit deeper in Aspire Higher before I'm going to leave you for the day. And, and Ken, this has just been an amazing conversation. It feels like you're uh, kind of like 20, 20 years ahead of me in life and I get to ask all these incredible questions and learn. So thank you so much for taking the time. I said, it's a pleasure. So Aspire Higher, what, why should... Uh, I read it and what, what will I gain from reading that book? Well, as I said, Peter, life choices determine your life. They really do. You know, it is the track of your life. And if you make great life choices, you're going to live your best life. You put your life on the right track. And the more you are confident about your choices, the more you feel you can make them, the more success you have, you know, but success begets success. It's positive reinforcement. You love the um, positive effects and results that you get from your life. And that makes all the difference. And if you want to succeed in life, if you want to be happy with your life, just make choices that reflect your highest self and your highest goals. And in um, Aspire Higher, I talk about something called the negativity bias, which is you can hear three great things about yourself and hear one negative, and people are hardwired to focus on the negative. And scientists have proved that. I have um, a formula to negate the negativity bias. And part of that is, if you start to make enough life choices where you feel like you're worthy of great life choices, if you feel like you're worthy of the great life that you're developing for yourself and you love yourself enough, the chances are the negativity bias won't go there. Because I can hear there are plenty of times when one is successful and a lot of people knock you. And, you know, if you're successful and, and feel good about who you are and you conduct your life and your business the right way, you know, that stuff just sort of rolls off like uh, water on a duck's back. There are ways to not spiral down with the negativity virus. Also, in Aspire Hire, I talk about how 
to master your emotions, which are so important. How to make your emotions work for you, not against you. So when you're making positive life choices, you can make cognitively clear life choices that do reflect your best self and your highest values. So I think all of those things are really important. And I do believe that if you make positive life choices that raise your self-esteem, that raise your feelings of self-worth, you put love and positivity and fulfillment and peace in your heart. And how great is that? It's beautiful to have peace of mind and peace in your heart as well. Ken, uh, I have a final question to you. And uh, that is for people that are here with us, they want to take some type of action in order to get started or take their life to their next level. What is the first thing they should do after watching this show and listening to, to our conversation here? Well, I talk about this in Aspire Higher, and there's actually a section called How to Jumpstart Your Life. And to me, the first step is know what you really want. And take time, take quiet time. It's one of the most important things you can ever do. Because if you know what you really want, then you can sort of, then sort of, then you can figure out the steps to get there. And you're far more disciplined if you know what you want in your life. And you can make life choices that reflect uh, those values. So it's so important to know in your heart of hearts what will make you happy. And as I said earlier, at different times in your life, different things will make you happy. So you need to continue to know what it is that drives you, what it is that brings you joy in your heart, and then make life choices that are consistent with and in furtherance of attaining that joy. So important. I love that. Thank you so much, Ken. For people that want to connect with you, learn more about you and find your books, where's the best place to, to connect? The best place is to go to my website, positivelifechoicepsychology.com, positivelifechoicepsychology.com. And then all of my books are available on barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, walmart.com, and target.com, and uh, many, many other places. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ken, again, for your time. We really appreciate you and we appreciate you coming on here and sharing all the lessons that you've learned in your life. Uh, so thanks again. It's a pleasure, Peter. I really enjoyed it. And, and thank you for everybody who's out there listening. Yeah, we're super grateful for you guys that are here listening, watching, and we're happy that you're listening, but what we really want is for you to take some type of action in your life to make your life a little bit more loving and finding that positivity and joy. And I think there's so many tools here today that you've been given. So take advantage of that. And also I have a big mission. I want to help a lot of people. I need your help. This show is for free. All of this knowledge is for free. So first off, go and get Ken's book and learn a little bit more. Second, give us a review. Share this with somebody that needs to hear this message so we can help more people and elevate the world to a more positive, happy, happy place that will 
benefit us all. Uh, I'll see you next week, guys. And I'm super happy that you came and listened again. Again, if you're new to the show, we hope to see you next week. Thank you so much. And I'll talk to you next week.